Good morning again, dear friends. It's good to see you this morning. I invite you to please get out your Bible and make your way to the book of Acts. I'm going to ask you to go, not to Acts chapter 8. Brother Lance read that in the scripture reading this morning. But we're going to have our study from Acts the 11th chapter. So I'm going to ask you to go in your Bible to Acts the 11th chapter. Our study will be mainly coming from that chapter this morning. It is so good for us to be together in this worship assembly this morning. But if you had the opportunity to get into a time machine and visit the worship assembly of another church, which one would it be? Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose first? Would your first choice be the very first church we can read about in our Bibles, the church in Jerusalem? Would you like to see what a worship assembly in Jerusalem looked like? Would you like to be part of an assembly that consisted of maybe 10 or 15,000 Christians? Would you like to have been able to assemble with those Christians and take the Lord's Supper with them and pray with them and study with them and give with them and sing with them? I mean, can you imagine what their singing must have sounded like? Would you visit the church in Jerusalem if you had the opportunity, or would you visit the church in Corinth? Would you visit that church that we are reading about in our Bible reading right now, or maybe the church in Philippi, or the church in Thessalonica, or the church in Rome, or one of those seven churches of Asia that we can read about in the book of Revelation? I can understand if you immediately thought of any of those churches, but what about this church right here? What about this church that we can read about in Acts chapter 11? What about the church in Antioch, which you have liked to have seen what things are like in that church? Would you like to visit Antioch? I'm asking you that question because I firmly believe the church in Antioch is often overlooked. It is largely unknown. It's not a church that we really talk a lot about and, and study and discuss today. Maybe that's because... There's no letter written to this church in the Bible. There's no letter written to this church in the New Testament. I mean, search your New Testament. You're not going to come across a first or a second Antiochians. You're not going to find the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or James or John writing a letter to this church and telling us about the problems in this church and praising this church. We just don't have a lot of information about this church in the Bible, and yet I submit that this may be one of the most important churches in the Bible. This may be one of the most important churches in all of the New Testament. I mean, the name that we are commonly called today, the name Christian, the name that I used over and over again last Sunday, do you know where that began? That began right here. That began in Antioch. Before Antioch, you don't read about any disciples being called Christians. And that fact alone makes this church worthy of our study. That fact alone should compel us to get into a spiritual time machine this morning and open up our Bibles and study what the Holy Spirit tells us about this church. And so will you do that with me this morning? Will you travel back in time with me to the lens, through the lens of Scripture and consider what the Scripture tells us about the church in Antioch? In Acts the 11th chapter, we start with verse number 19. In verse 19 it says this, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. 
For there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. Verse 25, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first, they were first called Christians in Antioch. So let's take a moment or two to really kind of break down what's going on there in those verses. Notice how those verses, that section begins by telling us about how the church in Antioch began. It tells us how the church in Antioch got started. Notice how the church in Antioch got started, not as a result of the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter going there and planting a church there. Instead, that church began because of persecution. It began because of that great persecution, that great persecution that Lance read about in the scripture reading this morning. Going back to where our scripture reading came from this morning, if you remember in Acts chapter 8, we read about the church in Jerusalem being persecuted by Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus, after the stoning of a Christian named Stephen, Saul of Tarsus began ravaging the church in Jerusalem. He began trying to destroy the church in Jerusalem. He actually went into the homes of Christians and he drugged them out of their homes and he separated them from their families and he put them in jail. There were maybe thousands and thousands of Christians who were forced out of Jerusalem. And the text says that some of them went to Antioch. They went to Antioch. Now, the Antioch that is mentioned here is not to be confused with another Antioch we read about in the book of Acts. If you remember in Acts the 13th chapter, we read about the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey preaching the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. That is not the Antioch you read about in Acts chapter 11. In Acts 11, we're not reading about Pisidian Antioch. There were a lot of Antiochs in the Roman Empire at this time, but the one we're reading about in Acts 11 is the one that was north of Jerusalem in Antioch of Syria. This is not Pisidian Antioch. Instead, this is Antioch of Syria. The scripture tells us that after a lot of Christians were forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution, many of them went north to Antioch in Syria. And upon arriving in Antioch, they did evangelism. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel to the Jews in the city. And then when a couple of unnamed disciples showed up from Cyprus and Cyrene, where those guys started preaching the gospel to the Greeks. That is, they started preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, to the people from the other nations. And many of those people were converted. Many of those people believed in the Lord and they turned to the Lord. They became disciples of Jesus Christ and the news about their conversion reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was dispatched to Antioch in Syria to pay that church a visit. And when he got there, he was the one who was encouraged. 
He was fired up. He was motivated. He was compelled to stay with those Christians for about a year doing the work of God. Barnabas was very pleased with what he saw in Antioch. And very quickly, I just want to share with you a few things that Barnabas saw there. I want to share with you about four things that Barnabas saw when he visited the church in Antioch. And the first thing he saw was he saw growth. He saw church growth. He saw church growth being done the Lord's way. Going back to the text, I want you to appreciate how in verse number 21, the scripture says that the church in Antioch was a growing church. It was a growing church. It was a thriving church. It was a church where a large number of people turned to the Lord. A lot of souls are being won for the cause of the gospel in the city of Antioch, and that was happening in Antioch, even though Antioch was none like Jerusalem. This city is none like Jerusalem. Remember, in Acts chapter 2, we learned that it was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the church first began, right? Jerusalem was where 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church, according to Acts 2 and verse 47. Jerusalem was where the church grew to about 5,000 adult males, according to Acts 4 and verse 4. Jerusalem was where the temple was, and it was where many God-fearing Jews resided, and it was where God was worshipped and praised and celebrated for being awesome and holy. Jerusalem was a very special and holy city to the Jews, but Antioch is not like that at all. Antioch is nothing like Jerusalem. While Jerusalem was an important city to the Jews, Antioch was one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. Antioch was actually the third most populated city in the Roman Empire at this time. There were a large number of Jews who did live in this city, but this city was mostly made up of Gentiles. It was mostly made up of Greeks and Persians, and Syrians, and, and Romans. It was a melting pot of a city, and it also was a very wealthy city. It was a thriving metropolis. It had huge palaces, and an amphitheater, and a hippodrome where they had chariot races, and it was beautiful and immaculate. It was a very beautiful and wealthy city, and it also was a city immersed in sin. It was a city that was immersed in idolatry. It had brothels of every kind throughout the city. And there was gambling and pagan temples and a whole host of other wicked activities. There was a lot of sin going on in Antioch. Antioch was a big city that a lot of people flocked to in the first century. In fact, in many ways, Antioch was just like Phoenix. It was just like Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, think about it. Just like Antioch, we live in a big city. We live in a very important city in this country. Now, we're not as important as maybe a New York City or, or Washington, D.C., where the capital is, but we are an important city in this country. We are a large city in this country. In fact, we are actually the fifth largest city in this country. We are in a big city and we're also a melting pot. This is a melting pot city. There are people from all races in this city. There are white people, there are black people, there are Latino, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. This is a melting pot of a city and we're also a very prosperous city. We live in a city that offers a lot of different things. We got a, we got a, a booming housing market. 
There's a lot of entertainment in this city. There are a lot of things for you to do. I mean, think about it. We got a professional football team. We got a professional baseball team. Got a professional basketball team. I know Greg wants me to say you got a professional hockey team. I said that for Greg right there. We got a hockey team here. There's a lot of things to do in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a lot of sin in the city, right? There's a lot of sin in, in the big city of Phoenix. I mean, we got gang activity in this city. We got drugs, alcohol, gambling, immorality, shootings, murders, kidnapping, a whole host of evil things going on. There's a, a lot of sinful things going on. And the fifth largest city in the country, and while all of that can be discouraging to us this morning, from Antioch we learn that the gospel can actually thrive in a city like this. The gospel can actually thrive in a big city beyond the small country towns in places like Alabama and Tennessee and Georgia. Antioch shows us that the gospel is powerful enough to convert souls in a big city. It can thrive in the big city. It can take root and take hold in a city like this, a city that is full of prosperity and full of entertainment and full of all kinds of people and even wickedness. In verse number 24 of the chapter of Acts 11, it says, and considerable numbers were added to the Lord. Notice how in Antioch, there are a lot of people being won by the gospel. They're being won for Jesus Christ. And I guess the question is, how did that happen? I mean, how in the world could a church grow in a town like this? Was it growing because the Christians there were watering down the gospel? Was it growing because the Christians there in Antioch were trying to adapt the gospel to the common way of thinking in their culture and their, in their society? Was it growing there because of gimmicks? Was it growing there because the church was offering all kinds of, of food and fun and entertainment? They were offering chariot races and gladiator games and, and all kinds of things that people would consider fun. Is that why the church was growing in Antioch? Absolutely not. Instead of watering down the gospel and offering gimmicks, the Bible says this church grew in this big city because of preaching. Because of teaching, because the disciples who comprised this church were preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. The church in Antioch was an evangelistic church. It was a growing church. It was a church that grew the right way. It grew the healthy way. It grew because the members of this church were busy spreading the message of the gospel, and we need to strive to be like them. As we live in a big city, like they live in a big city, we need to teach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. We need to understand that it's not just in the South where well, you got a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, where the church can thrive. No, the church can thrive here. It can thrive in Phoenix. It can thrive in the big city. We learned that when we go to Antioch. Barnabas saw that when he went to Antioch. But not only did he see church growth in this big city, you know what else he saw? He saw benevolence. He saw a lot of generosity from these Christians in the big city. So go back to Acts the 11th chapter, please, and look at verse number 27. And Acts the 11th chapter and in verse number 27, the Bible says, now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, the Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by 
by the spirit, there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for relief of the brethren living in Judea. And, they, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So do we, what do we find there in those verses? Well, in those verses, we find this church in Antioch engaged in another work. They're engaged not just in evangelism, but also in the work of benevolence. They're involved in the work of benevolence after learning from, from a prophet about a famine that would impact the entire world. This church determined to send some relief. They determined to send some money to help needy brethren in Jerusalem. I submit that what they do there, that's shocking. That is stunning. That is staggering. That is a radical action because this church in Antioch was largely Gentile. This church was largely Gentile. It was largely made up of people who were not Jews. And that means that upon discovering that an entirely Jewish congregation in Jerusalem was in need of help in a time of famine, a predominantly Gentile church in Antioch, they don't turn the other way. They don't say, we don't care about those Jews down there. We don't care about what they're going through. That's their problem. We got to worry about our bank account. We got to store up a bunch of money for ourselves. We're not going to use our money to help those people. And they don't say that. They don't turn the other way when they hear of Jewish Christians in need. Instead, the Bible says the church in Antioch was very benevolent. They were very giving. They used their funds, funds from their church treasury, to take care of God's people. I believe there are a couple of lessons we can learn from that. First, I think from their example, we learn some things about local church funds. We learn some things about that money that we take up every Sunday when we worship God. We learn that we can use some of that money for the benevolent needs of brethren. We can do that. And I know that because look again at verse 29. Verse 29 says of Acts 11, verse 29, and the proportion that any of the disciples had means each of them, notice this is a local church work here. Each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of who? The brethren. The brethren living in Judea. This is similar to what you find, if you go with me please, to 1 Corinthians 16. You're familiar with these passages. We actually read them in our Bible reading a few weeks ago. But remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1? In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the collection, the collection for who? For the saints. It's for the saints. As I directed the church of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that there be no collections be made when I come. This is a critical text here. And we pointed this out in our Zoom study a few weeks ago. This is a critical text here in the Bible because without this text, we're left in the dark when it comes to giving. We don't know when to take up a collection. We have absolutely no idea when to take up a collection without this text. This is the only text that shows us when Christians took up a collection. It was on the first day of the week. This is the only verse that tells us that. And they did it for the saints. 
for needy saints. Verse 3, Paul goes on to say, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift. That's benevolence to Jerusalem. Notice how the church in Antioch, they're doing what Paul told the Corinthians to do. They're doing that same kind of work. Notice how the church in Antioch, like the church in Corinth, they didn't use their money to feed the world. They didn't use their money to open up a soup kitchen or to write a check to all the needy people in their community. They didn't use their money to feed this homeless person and that homeless person. While there was nothing wrong with them doing that as individuals, as a church, the Bible says they use their money to relieve needy brethren. Needy Christians. In fact, verse 30 of Acts 11 tells us, that they sent their relief to Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul to who? To the elders. Not to some organization or some church headquarters on the earth. No, they sent it to the local church, to the elders of the local church in Jerusalem. That's the model they followed, and that's the model we follow here at Monta Vista. That's the model we follow here, and I, and I want you to hear me clearly on this. For all of our young people here this morning, for all of our young Christians, young disciples, even our visitors here, I want you to understand that there's a reason why we use the money for the purposes we use it for here. There's a reason why we use the Lord's money at times to help Christians in this place. There's a reason why at times we use some of the Lord's money to help needy brethren in Africa and in other parts of the world. There's a reason why we don't have a soup kitchen and why we don't use the Lord's money to write checks to homeless people on the street and to pay their rent and their light bill and their cell phone bill. The reason why we use the Lord's money solely to help needy Christians is because we're trying to follow the New Testament pattern. We're trying to follow the New Testament example. We're trying to follow the example of this church, the church in Antioch. When Barnabas got to Antioch, he saw evangelism. He saw church growth. And he saw generosity. He saw these, these Gentile Christians sending money to help Jewish Christians. But not only did he see those things, you know what else he saw? He also saw diversity. He saw racial diversity. And there are a couple of places I want to show you here. Stay in Acts 11 real quick. Stay in Acts 11. Look back at verse 19, please. Acts 11. Look back at verse 19. Verse 19 says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So notice how at first, the Christians who left Jerusalem, they're only preaching the Jews. They don't want to preach anybody else but Jews. You see, there is some, there's still some racial division in the church at this time. There's some racial thinking. They don't want to preach the Gentiles. But verse 20 says, there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and I wish I knew the names of those guys, don't you? Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. But they came from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they said, we're going to stop this nonsense. They came to Antioch and began preaching to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Look at that term, Greeks, in verse 20. 
That term Greeks there is not being used to talk about Gentiles who were proselytes. It's not being used to even talk about people like Cornelius, God-fearing Gentiles, Gentiles who helped the Jewish people out and may have even converted to Judaism. That's not how that term is being used there. Here, this term Greeks is being used to refer to 100% Gentile people. People had nothing to do with Judaism. Full-blooded Gentiles. This is the first time in Acts we find the gospel going to people like that. Not like people like Cornelius who are God-fearing Gentiles. No, these are pure Gentiles here. Pure Gentiles. And then you put that with what you find in Acts the 13th chapter. Because the gospel is going to Gentiles in Antioch. But in Acts 13 in verse 1, we learn something else about this church. When it says, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I want you to notice carefully verse number one. Look at verse number one. Verse number one is a very interesting verse. That is an interesting verse because there the Holy Spirit is telling us about some guys who were nothing like each other. They were nothing like each other. In verse number one, you find a very diverse group of men. Now, we know about Barnabas, don't we? Barnabas is a Jew. We know that. We know he's from the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite from Cyprus. We learn that in Acts chapter 4. But this other guy, Simeon, who is also called Niger, he's likely a black man. He's an African man, very likely. In fact, the term Niger is a Latin term that means black. It means dark. You put that with Lucius of Cyrene. You know where Cyrene was? That was in North Africa. This is also likely a black man. And then this guy, Manan. Manan was part of the Herod family, the scripture says. He seems to have been the foster brother of Herod Antipas. That's the Herod who killed John the Baptist. That means he comes from a rich family. He comes from a family of royalty. And then the last guy mentioned there is Saul. Yeah, that's Saul, the Saul who tried to destroy the church. This is a diverse group of men we have here. This is a group of men that consists of Jews, black people, rich people, and a former persecutor of the church. You know what that's showing us? That is showing us that the gospel is so powerful, it is so dynamic, so convicting, so glorious, that it can bring anybody together. It can bring these guys together. It could unite these guys together and make them brothers in Christ and make them one in the cause of the gospel. It could do that for them, even though they live in a world full of racism. You know, we talk a lot about racism in our time today. That's nothing new. You know what that is? That's the New Testament. New Testament full of racial tension. In the New Testament world, you had all kinds of racism. 
Jews didn't like Gentiles. Gentiles didn't like Jews. Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like Jews. There's racism all throughout the Bible, all throughout the first century world. And yet these guys here don't care about that. These guys are diverse. They're different. They come from different nations. And yet they're one in Jesus Christ. They're one in the cause of the gospel. That's what's going on in Antioch. And that's what's going on here, right? That's what's going on at Monte Vista. Even at Monte Vista, right now in this room, you need to look around. You need to look around very carefully. There's a diverse group of people in this room right now. You got all kinds of people in this room right now. You got white people in this room. And you got black people. Got a black preacher. Got Hispanics. Got Latino folks. Got Native American people. You got men, you got women, you got some people who grew up in the church. Maybe they're second, third, fourth generation Christians. And then you got some people who may have grown up in denominations or maybe they're atheists, grew up atheists or grew up agnostic. You got some rich people in this room. You got middle class people in this room. You got some poor people in this room. You got Republicans, Democrats, independents. You got a lot of diversity in this room right now. And that is a testimony to the power of the gospel. That is a testimony to the power of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. Antioch is a critical church to study in the New Testament because, hear me carefully, it is the very first diverse church in the Bible. It is the very first racially diverse church in the Bible. It is the place where they were first called Christians. It is a church that shows us exactly what God wants in the church. God doesn't want racial segregation in the church. God doesn't want racism in the church. God doesn't want white folks to have their church and black folks to have their church and Latino folks to have their church and the Asians and the Indians to have their church. No, God wants unity in the church. God wants peace and love in the church. God wants his people to focus on souls and not this. Not the color of skin. God wants us to understand that when we go to heaven, there's not going to be a white section of heaven and a black section of heaven and a Latino and a Native American and an Asian and an orange and a purple section of heaven. Not going to have segregation in heaven. You know what you're going to have in heaven? People who love the Lord. All people who love the Lord. No skin color. It's going to be people who love the Lord, who spent their lives serving Jesus, who love each other, who love Jesus, being together as a family forever. That's what you're going to have. And they got that in Antioch. And I believe we get that here. We get that. But we got to keep on doing that. When Barnabas went to, went to Antioch, he saw evangelism. He saw generosity. He saw diversity, racial diversity. And then finally, you know what else he saw? He saw acceptance. Now, when I say acceptance here, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about acceptance of sin. I'm not talking about tolerating wicked and, and evil behavior. That's not what I mean. Instead, when I talk about acceptance here, I'm talking about how these Christians accepted people despite their past mistakes. Despite the baggage they may have. And I want to show you that in Acts 11. One more time, please. Look at verse number 20, 25. After telling us about how Barnabas was so encouraged when he got to Antioch and he saw this evangelism and saw these wonderful things going on. Verse 25 says, 
and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they, Barnabas and Saul, met with the church and they taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So notice how after witnessing the progress of the gospel and the racial unity in this church, the scripture says here that Barnabas went to go look for Saul. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's the same Saul who before he became a Christian, he launched out on and unleashed a great persecution on the church. It's the same Saul who tried to destroy the church in Jerusalem. The same Saul who went into the homes of Christians and drug them out of their homes and put them in jail. The same Saul who was initially denied fellowship in the church in Jerusalem. And Barnabas had to stand up for him and defend him and persuade the brethren in Jerusalem that Saul was a changed man after witnessing the wonderful work of God in Antioch. Barnabas brought this man back with him there to do God's work. He brought Saul back to Antioch and it seems like they immediately accepted him. They immediately allowed him to stay with them and work with them and teach them and worship with them. They allowed Saul to serve there and grow there and develop into the great apostle Paul who would one day launch out from there on missionary journeys. That's the kind of church Antioch was. And that's the kind of church we got to have here. We got to have a church like that. Here at Monta Vista, through love and kindness and patience, we need to send the message to every single Christian that no matter what your background is, you can grow here. You can get a fresh start here. You can be equipped to do the Lord's work here. You see, by accepting Saul, the church at Antioch demonstrated hearts of disciples. Hearts of real Christians, hearts like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while we can't get into a, a time machine this morning and physically visit the church in Antioch, what I hope we've been able to do is still visit them, but visit them through the eyes of Barnabas. Visit them through the lens of Scripture. Visit them throughout this brief information that Luke gives us about this church in the book of Acts. You see, through this brief, inspired information from Acts, we learn that this church is worthy of imitation. We, we learn why they were first called Christians there. We learn why people in their community recognized them as those people who belonged to Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch for a reason. And the question is, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian like they were Christians? If you are not a Christian, then you have an opportunity today in this moment to become a Christian. To believe in Jesus like they believed in Jesus, to believe in him as the Lord, to repent, turn away from your sins, confess his name, confess him as Lord and be baptized. 
for the remission of your sins according to Acts 2 verse and verse 38. You can do that if you're not a Christian this morning or if you are a Christian, but you had been a very good Christian. You have an opportunity to repent this morning, come back into the fellowship of God and his people. And if we can help you with any of that, we're inviting you to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together. All things are